Thank you, Everett. Again, so grateful that you're here today. This is the second lesson of a series that I'm calling Untwisted. We are trying to understand what the fruit of the Spirit is all about in Galatians chapter 5. Not just because it's in the Bible and God wrote it and we need to know about it, but there, there's just something important to know about how the fruit of the Spirit makes its way into our life and changes us. And the reason that we need to understand the fruit of the Spirit is that human beings, as you know, we talked about this last week, human beings are a twisted lot. There, are, there is no evidence that I can see that we are getting any better under our own steam. All we have to do is watch the news each day and we are reminded daily that the twist in human beings, the warp, the bend in human beings is profound. But as we saw last week, that one of the pieces of the good news about being in the kingdom of God is that God loves to untwist what is twisted. God loves to untwist what is twisted. In fact, say that with me. God loves to untwist what is twisted. Jesus came to earth not only to save human beings, which we celebrated just a couple of minutes ago in the Lord's Supper, but he also came to show, to model, to illustrate, to demonstrate how humans are to live in every, in each circumstance, in every situation that we encounter in our day. So let me ask you a, a personal question. Do the people you interact with on a daily basis know that you're a disciple of Jesus even though you may never have mentioned it? Do the people around you, the people that you interact with every day, do they discern, do they, do they, do they know that you are a disciple of Jesus even though you may have never told them? Which brings up kind of another interesting question, is that even possible? Can the people that you interact with, just by the behavior that they see in all of the circumstances that you may go through with them together, can they see, discern that you're a disciple of Jesus? And the answer is yes, that's absolutely possible. You are the untwisted among the twisted. You are the one who is for others when everyone else is for themselves. You are the one who is gentle when everyone else is harsh. You're the one who is kind when everybody else around you is inconsiderate. You are the noticeably untwisted among the twisted humanity. And this is really crucial to our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus grow into a supernatural character with the help of a su supernatural power that comes into your life and comes to live in you called God the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. And next week we're going to, to spend a little bit more time. We're actually going to begin talking about the nine components of the fruit singular of the Spirit. But I wanted to spend a little bit more time this morning really trying to understand the importance of the Spirit when it comes to living this transformed life. Now for most of us, if you were like me, when you grew up, there was not a whole lot that was taught on the Holy Spirit. In fact, it could kind of be boiled down to this, that God created the heavens and the earth and then he went away. God, uh, uh, God the Son, Jesus came to earth and died so that sins could be forgiven and then went away. And then the Holy Spirit came and wrote a book and then went away. Now I believe with all of my heart that the book, the Bible, the book we call the Bible, is God-breathed that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but I also believe that the Holy Spirit does so much more than just give us a book. 
And so what I want to do this morning, building on what we talked about last week, is I want to give you a reality to think about and an action to do. A reality to think about and an action to do. The first reality is this. What you need to grow is already inside of you. What you need to grow is already inside of you. You know, when we become a disciple of Jesus, when we become a Christian, we know that there are certain things that are supposed to become a part of our life. And much of the time we think that those things are out there someplace and that if we try real hard and we live by grid and, you know, we work hard over a number of years, that those things that are on the outside are actually going to come into the inside of us. But let me ask you this. What kind of illustration is fruit of the Spirit? It's agricultural. You know, when you think about a banana tree, a banana tree already has inside of it everything that it needs to grow bananas. The same thing is true with tomato plant. A tomato plant has everything it needs already inside of it in order to grow tomatoes. Now, as a disciple of Jesus, with the Spirit of God living inside of you, you have everything you need to grow spiritually. Think about the day of Pentecost. The church has started. Peter preaches... Yeah, the sermon, the first sermon, and the people hear it in Jerusalem, and they're cut to the heart, and they shout to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, you know the words, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, right? Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance we get. Baptism we get. Forgiveness, hallelujah. Forgiveness of sins we get. But gift of the Holy Spirit? Gift of the Holy Spirit, not so much. We, we treat, I think, a lot of time the gift of the Holy Spirit like a weird Christmas gift that we get from an even weirder aunt. And you know the kind of gift I'm talking about. You get a bowling ball or you get a, a tie that you'll never wear. And you don't really know what to do with it. And so what do you do? You put it on, in a box, you put it in a box, put it on a shelf in a closet, and you forget about it never to use it again. Now, we don't know what to do with it, so we hide it. And if we do the same thing with the Holy Spirit because we don't understand it, huge, gigantic mistake in our lives. Think about some of the prayers or some of the things that Paul wrote about that impact our life when it comes to the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 3, you know, sometimes it's a prayer and we just run right through these prayers. We need to slow down sometimes and listen to what it is that Paul is praying. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, Christian, disciple, with power... Through his spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying that I pray that at some point you will come to an understanding of this tremendous power that is active in your life through God's Spirit who is going to strengthen you in your inner being. Now, he doesn't give us a whole lot of details here on how that works. But what he is giving us is a reality. That the Spirit is inside of us as a power changing and strengthening our lives. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writing again says, God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now that's sanctifying, that, that's a big word. 
It basically means being made holy, which is just kind of a, a, a Paul way of saying the spirit inside of you that is sanctifying you is actually the spirit of God giving you the character of God, which you can never achieve on your own. It is a power that comes into your life. God resources in you what he requires of you. That Holy Spirit is just not there as window dressing. That Spirit, and that's what it means to walk by the Spirit, is active in your life. And that's why you can't treat that gift of the Holy Spirit as a weird gift to be shelved and forgotten or until you can find some other reason to give it away. One of the most amazing realities and truths of the Bible is that the description is, is that description you read in the Bible of what it is you're going to become, what you will look like, and how you will live as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus with the help of God. Christianity, friends, is not a, a sink or swim religion. When you become a disciple of Jesus, God doesn't just throw you into the lake and say, well, you can make it to the shore or not, sink or swim. That's not what happens when you become a disciple of Jesus. You are given a gift. You are given something that you don't have prior. It's a gift that has come into your life of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you to become what God has always wanted you to be. That's the first thing. What you need to grow is already inside of you. That spirit is helping you to grow the way that a banana plant produces bananas. Now, second thing, and here's the action. Walking by the spirit requires daily walkthroughs. Walking by the spirit requires daily walkthroughs. Walking, as we saw last week, is a really big deal in the Bible, right? It means a lot of things, but we boiled it down to two really important ideas. The first one is destination. We are on a path. There is a, there is a direction and a destination to which we are headed. Secondly, it's a, not just destination, but relation. It's really important who you choose to walk with. And as a disciple of Jesus, you're walking with God. You're walking with the Spirit, which means that you are not alone that you are not trying to do this on your own steam. But it is also, there's also another component to this. And it is destination, relation, execution. In the sense of doing it each day. Walking with God is more than just metaphor. Walking with God, walking by the Spirit, is more than just this intellectual concept or a theory or a debate Walking with God is something that you literally do every day. Now, let me give you a modern-day example of, of what this looks like. Uh, when I played football back in the Dark Ages, our practice would always include what the coaches back then called, and they have them even to this day, walk-throughs, which was typically the offense learning a new play. The coach would go over the new play from the playbook with all of the X's and the O's and the directions and all of that. Uh, it was about, he was showing where you were supposed to be at the beginning of the play, halfway through the play, you know, at the end of the play. He was showing you all of this. But knowing, in part, was not knowing fully. So we would literally have to walk through that play out on the field until everyone knew what they were doing. 
And sometimes you'd walk through and 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 you'd get yelled at and walk through, walk through, have to do some push-ups and walk through, walk through. But finally, you would kind of get it down. And then you would do it at half speed. Then you would go full speed. Then you would go full speed with defensive bodies. And you, you get the idea. We would do this play a hundred times until on the hundred and first time it became second nature, which was incredibly important because there would be a moment in which success or failure depended on executing the play. Now again, we're going to get very specific next week as I begin to talk about the nine elements of the components of the fruit of the Spirit. But here's an example. Humility is a Christian virtue, right? Humility is a, a singularly Christian virtue. No pagan philosopher ever thought that humility was a good thing. In fact, humility was something that should be shunned. And yet Jesus says, I am gentle and what? Humble in heart. Matthew chapter 11. Paul in Philippians 2 talks about a life as a disciple of Jesus in the family of God, surrounded by brothers and sisters, in humility to count the needs of others more important than your own. Humility is just, you know, we are told in Micah chapter 6 that what God requires is, is to, 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 to do justice and to take care of widows and orphans and to walk humbly with God. Humility is a Christian virtue. But humility of heart is not natural to human beings. We want to make it about ourselves. We want to be the center of attention. Humility of heart, though, comes in the life of a disciple with the help of God's Spirit that is already in you, enabling you to be humble in heart. And in, in a hundred actions and decisions throughout your life not to make it about you or to make it about somebody else. When you pray in the Spirit to be humble through and through, when we do acts of humble service, when we are humble when it's convenient and when it's not convenient, and then at some point on the 101st time that we do it, we realize that this character-building work of the Spirit has done its job, and we find ourselves naturally, as a disciple, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, doing humble acts of service and living in humility, not pride, making it about other people naturally. Just as natural and as surprising as it is when a junior high kid who's five foot seven wakes up one day and he's six foot and he didn't know how that happened. And neither do his parents, even though they saw the food bill go up. This is the kind of life that we've been asked to live. This is the kind of life that describes what a kingdom of God person looks like. And it is, my friends, the kind of life that we are called to live and is so needed, so necessary in this world. You know, during communion that we took just a couple of moments ago, what is it that, what is it that we typically do? And, I, and again, this is, this is not a moral question. The, the answer is, you know, we think about the death of Jesus, which is one of the things that we are called to do. 
that I'm not my own, I was bought with a price. That, that my, my salvation, my relationship with God did not come without great cost, great sacrifice, great forgiveness, and great love. And all of that was exemplified in Jesus dying on the cross for me. What is it that keeps him on the cross? It's not the nails, but it's love. Sometime today, you need to think about the life of Jesus while he's dying on that cross. The life of Jesus. You know what he's doing as he's dying on the cross? He's letting his light shine. They're driving those nails into him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a man beside of him on a cross too, who's dying. And he ministers to that man. And then in the very moment of his death, there's one of those rugged old Roman centurions, acquainted with death, acquainted with the way humans typically die. And he sees the life of Jesus in these last moments. And he goes, wow. That surely was the Son of God. The way that Jesus lived, even in his death, was something that the early church took very seriously. When everyone else that was being crucified on those Roman crosses were, and, 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 and were being executed summarily in those arenas, and they were calling down the curses of their gods down upon the Romans and upon their executioners and upon all their enemies, Christians were praising God and singing hymns. When those epidemics were, were just thundering through the ancient world, the first three centuries, and, and, and folks were just fleeing those cities, every man for himself, literally. So those disciples of Jesus, living the fruit of the Spirit, love, that were running into the center of those cities to take care of the dying, to take care of the neglected, to take care of the abandoned. During those, those years when the church was forming and, and the disciples of Jesus were beginning to understand what it, it meant to be made in the image of God and began to realize that the practice of allowing these young babies, especially girls, to be left out into a place where a decision would be made by the fates as to whether or not they would live, said enough of that. And would go to those places, many of them poor, many of them struggling to even take care of themselves and their own natural children, and would take those babies into their arms and bring them into their homes and, and would raise them as their own. The life that you and I have been called to live is like no other human life. And it's not one that we can just do ourselves 
But it's one that through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit gifted in us, is enabling us to truly, truly grow up to the head who is Christ. That is the life. Let's stand and sing.